You're listening to Rivercast, brought to you by River of Life Church in Gilderland, New York. Now here's Pastor Sean. Hey guys, welcome. Uh, so good to see you this morning. Kids, I hope you uh, picked up your uh, activity book and uh, the sheets in there. So we genuinely are trying to make the, the morning for you guys as well. So now's a good time for you guys to kind of work on those things and mom and dad and Really appreciate your patience with us as we just are trying to social distance and all of that. And so, frankly, I've been amazed at how quiet the kids are. I don't know if you're giving the kids, like, legal drugs before they come in. Are you, are you bribing them at home? Are they getting double scoops of ice cream after service? But, like, I have not even noticed a peep from any of the kids. So, anyway, it really is great to, to see you guys this morning. Uh, you can go ahead and turn with me, if you would, to Second uh, Peter. We're going to look at uh, the last half of verse 10 and on through verse 16. And uh, uh, Peter, as, he, as we're looking at Second Peter, the whole focus of this is that you and I would stand firm in our faith. And in chapter 3, we're going to see to stand firm in our faith today because our Lord Jesus is coming back, and it's not easy. And he started out by telling us that part of that standing firm is that we all just need to continue to grow in our life. We continue to need to add these various characteristics or or values or lifestyle and habits and focus. And we talked all about that for a couple of weeks. And and really in chapter 2 where we are now is, is he's telling us that we should be growing and be adding those to our faith. It's not enough to just simply believe and, and, you know, or even believe and go to church, if you will, because... There are going to be challenges and false teachings and false teachers that will, that will come in and will deceive many, many people. And so this morning, we're going to talk a little bit more about those people, but it's kind of going to be learning from them what not to do. You know, I don't know about you, but we all, I always learn more from my mistakes and my successes because when I'm successful, I usually don't know why I'm successful. I, I, like, I can't duplicate it. Like, well, that worked. I have no idea how, and I don't know how I'd ever do it again. But when you fail, you usually like, oh yeah, that was so dumb and did not work out well. That happened to me a few years ago. I was working on uh, something with our water system downstairs, and I have a chlorine injection system, so I have to fill it up periodically with chlorine, and I buy it by the five-gallon loads, and it's just uh, always working. And, and the, the caps on those things are on really tight, so I have to take a pipe wrench to them. And, uh, and so I was busy working on that, and I was near my whole system, and and, and you know how it is when the wrench slips off of something, you know, all of a sudden it lets go, and the wrench just pulled off it, and my hand in that wrench hit the little plastic injector that injects the chlorine in my water system, and all of a sudden I had a geyser, water just blowing up from my basement, like hitting the ceiling. I mean, all that, you know, pressure was going out, and then it was raining all over my basement, my boiler, me, and it's water that's like from 200 feet down, so it is cold. I mean, this was not like lukewarm, whatever. It was freezing cold, and you know, in that minute, you're just like, oh, what do I do? Where's the shutoff to this thing? And I got soaking wet and then made the latest run to Home Depot or Lowe's, wherever I went, and like, oh, that is a lesson of what not to do. Needless to say, I have never taken those lids off anywhere near anything since that day, because, and I am super careful about that little plastic fitting that's just sitting up there waiting to be kicked. You know, if anybody was watching me, they would have said, well, I don't want to be like Sean on that one. That is a lesson in what not to do. So as we look at these false teachers, there's some really insidious things that Paul tells us that, guys, this is going to come into the church. 
And there's some things that we need to be aware of as a church that we need to be accountable and vigilant in our, in our lives and our church families' lives for one another. But I'm going to focus with that, not just like, hey, here's these bad people out there. Let's talk about them. I'm actually going to take as an opportunity for you and me to learn what we should not be doing or allowing in our own life. Okay, track it with me. So we're going to put ourselves uh, on, on the focus here. So read with me if you would. This is middle of verse 10 uh, in the English Standard Version of chapter 2 of Second Peter. So the Bible says this. Bold and willfully, he's talking about these false teachers. Bold and willful, they do not tremble as they blaspheme the glorious ones. What in the world does that mean? Well, we'll talk about that in a second. Whereas angels, though greater in might and power, do not pronounce a blasphemous judgment against them before they lo- the Lord. In other words, they dare to do what even an angel wouldn't be willing to do. They're bold, they're willful. Verse 12, but these are like irrational animals, creatures of instinct, just reacting to their environment, if you will. Not thoughtful, just reacting. They're born to be caught and destroyed, blaspheming about matters of which they are ignorant, spouting their mouth off about things that they have no clue about, he says. They will be destroyed in their destruction. In other words, their very devices of what they're going into is going to be the very thing that destroys them, suffering wrong as the wage for their wrongdoing. They count it pleasure to revel in the daytime. They're partiers in the day. They are blots and blemishes. Cancer, maybe we would say. Reveling in their deceptions while they feast with you, while they hang out with you and worship and are with you in your church. They have eyes full of adultery, insatiable for sin. They entice unsteady, unstable souls. They have hearts trained in greed. Accursed children, forsaking the way they have gone astray. We'll stop there and, and finish up the rest later. Peter, Peter tells us these individuals are going to come into the church, false teachers. And it's not just that they're teaching things that aren't true. They're bringing with it a whole lifestyle that is not only disruptive and dysfunctional, but is dangerous and deadly and destructive to the church family, to our our lives. So Peter is issuing a warning to us, and he says, these are the ones who are going to be, who will deceive you, and they will lead astray unsteady souls. In other words, those individuals who haven't put down a foundation in their faith, who haven't added to their faith virtue and knowledge and self-control and all of the things we talked about, they're going to be vulnerable to these individuals who will come and, and be a part of the church. So let me share with you just quickly four or five things here about these individuals, identifying them, but really applying them to our life. Notice the first thing that Paul or Peter excuse me, says. He says they are bold and, and willful. There's two kinds of boldness. Sometimes boldness is good, right? Sometimes it's good to be bold and courageous and and, and be willing to put yourself out there. That's good, but it's good whenever it's for something that's good. There's another side of boldness that it's daring, daring to do that which is dumb, that which is wrong, that which goes against other things, and we would say is, is stupid. Paul, or Peter, excuse me, that's the kind of boldness that he's talking about here. He says, 
they're bold. They're, they don't have a natural constraint about them. They're not, they're not constrainable. In fact, they're, they're willful. The willful means full of self-will. In other words, they're self-focused, self-motivated, focused on themselves, and they're bold doing that which they want to do, not listening to those around them, and they are daring, doing things that are audacious, that they should not be doing whatsoever. Peter says, that's who these false individuals will be like. That's who they will be. They will be uh, self-willed egotists. They've got a self-willed ego. Peter is telling us, in essence, this morning, don't be that guy. Don't be that guy. If we read through this list, as, as we read through this list and unpack these, doesn't this sound like the world around us? Doesn't this sound like the world around us that says, I'm going to make sure I get mine? I saw a, a, a quote from a, a, a football quarterback this past week who was complaining and saying, I'm done with being humble and, and this humility thing. He says, I'm going to be my biggest fan, and it's about me. Seek number one, in essence, is what he was projecting, proclaiming out there to the world. That's what this is talking about. This is saying, it's all about me. I should be my biggest fan. I, it's, I'm going to seek and do what I want. I'm not going to care who I step on. I'm not going to care who I hurt. I'm going to do what I want to do, when I want to do it, the way I want to do it. And for whatever reason, I want to do it, and I ought to be able to. Self-willed. Peter is telling us, if you want to be careful with the false teachers, look around. Anyone demonstrating that kind of attitude, a total lack of regard or concern for the individuals around them, you better watch out. There's some bad teaching and some bad thinking. So for you and for me, it's a warning that we actually are taught in our Christian life to not only not be prideful, Pride is the very first thing on the list that God hates in Proverbs 6. Seven things, really, he says. He says, six things I hate. Well, there's actually seven. First one on the list are haughty eyes, the Bible says. In other words, eyes that walk around large and in charge and, and, and the pride and lifted up in the middle of that. Pride is what caused Satan to fall and to think that he could be like God and somehow to take God's place and supplant God. You and I are to be people of humility. That doesn't mean that we're a people that beats down on ourselves or any, any way, shape, or form of weakness. I think the world around us doesn't understand humility, a God's sense of humility. But for you and for me, we know that as we live our life that we're not in charge of our life. We don't walk around like I'm in large, I'm in charge of everything. Instead, we say, God, you are in charge of my life. I come to live before you. I serve you. You're the one that I turn. You're the one that I follow. We should be leading a life that is led by God, not led by our own desires, not led by our own thinking, not led by just doing whatever we think we ought to be able to do as an autonomous right in the, in the world around us, but instead, God, you're in charge of my life. Isn't that kind of what it means for Jesus to be your Lord? He's your Lord and your Savior. When you surrender your life to Christ, you're not just surrendering to him and asking him to save you from your sins. Yes, you're doing that, but you're placing your life under his. You're coming under his authority. You're, you're agreeing with him that your actions that you've done and your behaviors and your attitudes are wrong, that are sinful, that you accepting his viewpoint and his authority in your life. 
And you turning to him and saying, I've messed up, would you forgive me? It's you coming under his, his authority. So by very nature of us as followers of Christ, this should not be a part of our life. The reason this stuff is in the world is because it's in the human heart, the sinful human heart. And because it's in the sinful human heart, these are things that we wrestle with even after we know Christ. So be careful, church. When you get your back up and your pride and ego gets up and you begin to go that way, you're beginning to act more like these people and God says that should not be a part of our life whatsoever. So not only should we not be that guy, that, that self-willed egotist, that self-willed ego, we also shouldn't be these ignorant blasphemers. Look what Paul, Paul goes on and says. These, these individuals, out of their pride, they, they blaspheme the glorious ones. There's debate as to exactly what that is. Is this talking about angels? Is it talking about kings and people in authority? Is it, you know, governors and presidents today? Uh, there's some differences of opinion. I, I tend to think it's talking about spiritual entities, angels and demons in particular, and these are individuals who are blaspheming against them in such a way that even the good angels don't dare to say those things. You can look at the book of Jude. There's a corollary passage in there that says that the angels, when wrestling or dealing with the, the demonic realm, they don't bring an accusation against them. I saw you mess up that day. I saw you in your sin. And look at all the stuff you've done. They don't come at them and rail them and run them down. They just simply say, Jude says, the Lord rebukes you. They just stand under God's authority and they stay there. What this means for you and for me is this, that you and I are not to be people filled with cursing, filled with blaspheming, filled with reviling people, railing on people, ranting on people or any authorities. That same whether it's, it's, it's really irrelevant whether it's talking about angels, demons, people in authorities, real, this physical world or not. It's the mentality and the heart behind it. Peter says these false teachers will be individuals that will talk big and they'll be talking about stuff that they don't know. And they'll be running other people down. They'll be running down other situations and other entities because they're lifted up in pride and they'll be talking big in the process. In fact, to the degree, he says this in verse 12. Look, he says, these are like irrational animals, creatures of instinct, creatures that don't think about consequences of what they do. They just react. They just do what's inside of them. They react in the moment. They're not thinking about the bigger aspects of life. They're not wrestling with the matters of eternity in their, in their, their heart and their soul, if you will. And they're born to simply be caught and destroyed. If you know anything about nature and the natural world, it's a harsh world. It really is not a harsh world. I've, you know, the purpose of rabbits in this world is not to be cute and fuzzy and make everybody happy. You know what their real job in this world is to feed all the other animals. That's why they have so many, and they just multiply. They're, that's what Peter's telling us, that the natural world is to be caught and destroyed. And these blasphemers, when you and I, or these false teachers, get in this mode, it's almost as if we're losing the image of God. We, we can't lose that. I'm not saying that. But it's almost as if, and we put all of our understanding aside, and we're just reacting to the moment, and that 
fit of anger, that fit of spouting off whatever it is that we're spouting off, and we're railing on individuals. Have you ever noticed that the biggest drum that makes the most noise is also the most empty? <laughs> you know, the one that's spouting all of the stuff. And he says, they're clueless, absolutely ignorant. There was another sports figure this week that came out and put on social media, media an anti-Semitic statement. It was pretty rancid. And I won't mention the player's name. He's a, a well-known player. And, and, and I don't know what his motivation was, but it was a statement attributed to, to Hitler. It was anti-Jewish. It was really a bad statement. And, and afterwards, he just said, hey, I'm about all colors and everybody and, you know, everybody. And I, I didn't mean anything by it. And he said, I just was talking about things that I was ignorant of. And I thought, exactly. <laughs> You should not have been posting anything about any of that. Keep your mouth shut. Peter's warning us, be careful about those that are busy posting and talking about all kinds of things and spouting off that they're absolutely ignorant of and have no business. They're blasphemers. And you and I should be a million miles away from that. A million miles Third thing, Peter tells us, he tells us to be careful because they are deceptive posers. They pose as something that they're really not. Notice down in, in verse 13, middle of the verse, he says, they count it pleasure to revel in the daytime. Rome was known to party more than we are today even, quite frankly. But it was socially in that day, it was okay to party at night, but if you partied in the day, that was really wrong. Kind of like there was a time where you're drinking in the morning, oh my goodness, you know what's wrong with you? I, I don't know if that's a thing today or not, but it's kind of that same mentality. Peter's like, these, these people are partying in the middle of the day, reveling uh, all that would, we would go with that, a full-on party, you guys, some of you probably did that when you were younger. I hope you're not doing it now. And if not, maybe you've seen it on TV. But Peter says, these individuals are doing that. They're in your church, and they're doing it, and they're so brazen that it's just any time of day, there's no social reigning in of what's going on uh, in their life whatsoever. They're, and then they're bringing the party to you because they're coming, and they're feasting with you That for the church of the day, as they came together in a time of worship, it wasn't quite like what we experience right now, what we do today, but they would often have a meal and they would share together. There was this, this life-giving entity and they would share in the Lord's Supper as a part of that, of the, of the uh, communion together. And Peter says, they're coming and they're defiling that whole, which should be a holy time. These are party people. And they're partying and all of this in the middle of your world. And they're full. They love these deceptions, he says. They live one way and they talk and they act another. Peter's telling us something significant. He says, guys, just because somebody comes to your church and just because somebody even joins your church and they know how to say all the right things. They know about how to talk about Jesus and faith. Doesn't mean that everything's right in their life. 
He says, be careful. These are individuals who are living differently than what their mouth is saying. They're posing as something that they're really not. Now, for Christians today, churches, we get surprised by that when, when that begins to surface in a church. How could somebody do that or what in the world? And we're kind of naive when we think that. The, the church, because we're all sinful people and because the, we're all people from, from different areas and whatever and different uh, you know, backgrounds, etc., it's only going to be that, that we have our own junk that we bring to the table and then it's only going to be ultimately that there's going to be other individuals that are, in essence, faking what is reality. Have you heard, you've heard the term fake book instead of Facebook, right? You know, people putting up the image that they want everybody to see. And there is a reality that that is very true and so much of that. But that's nothing new. Christians and churches have been putting on images for centuries, looking and acting a certain way when other people are watching. And Peter says, hey, look. That's not to be for you. He says, you're going to have people that will come in, and be, these false teachers will be deceptive, deceiving you, and they'll be posing. They'll be praying long prayers, and some people are going to be moved by it and think they're, they're so godly, when reality is, is they've just learned the words, and yet their life and their heart is over here. See, Peter's describing people that truly aren't saved and don't know the Lord Jesus. They've, they've learned the lifestyle. They've learned the behavior. They've learned the lingo. They've even learned some of the book. But their life hasn't been changed by the glorious gospel of Jesus. They haven't submitted their life to him as Savior and Lord, haven't received his grace in their life. And Peter says, don't be surprised. Don't be caught off guard. This is reality. Fourth thing. Insatiable adulterers, he says, they will be. In verse 14, they have eyes full of adultery, insatiable for sin. They entice unsteady souls. In other words, these are individuals, when they look around a room, they're not thinking about people in respect. They're thinking about people and what they can get from them physically, sexually. Their eyes are full of that. They're not, they're not viewing people the way we know that they should be. And they have this insatiable, it can't be saturated, always wanting more and more of an appetite of sin. And consequently, they're enticing individuals who are unsteady and unstable. Individuals who haven't put on virtue and knowledge and self-control and godliness. People who knew believers in their faith who haven't put down roots yet deep to withstand those temptations. Others who might be, for whatever reason, struggling in an area. And these individuals begin to, to prey on them. I read the story of a, a, a young man who, in his church, you know, would pray and walk around with kind of an air of you know, godliness and pray these long prayers. But all the while, his pastor could see like, He's just trying to get the attention of all these young women. And finally, he managed to lure one of those unsteady, unstable souls and lured her and the two of them where they should not have been. That's the kind of person Peter's talking about. He says, be careful. Church is a vulnerable place for that because we come and we share 
and we feel like this is safe, and it should be, and it ought to be, but we're also still people and sinful people. And Peter says, be careful. You know, when the whole Me Too thing blew up a year or two ago, the world acted like it was shocked that this was happening. This is what Peter's talking about. This is 2,000 years ago in a church. If it happened then, we should not be surprised what happens amongst figures of authority in Hollywood or, you know, or other uh, entities and, and church and etc. Peter says, be careful, insatiable. These are insatiable with their appetites for you and for me. How are we viewing people, people of the opposite sex? Other men and women, how are we, how are we looking at them? Paul told us, we're told to look at older women as moms and younger women as sisters. That should be our heart, our mindset, and our thinking. And going beyond that, we go down this road. So Peter says, be careful, be careful. Fifth thing, and I'm going to sum up with some kind of summary things for us to think about. Be careful with the greedy hearts. He says they have, have hearts in verse 14, that are trained in greed. Trained in greed. Just like you at your job have been trained to do that well and you've honed whether you're, whatever is involved with that, a way of thinking or the math that's involved or physically doing something. You've been trained and honed those skills and honed through experiences. Things that you know how to do that, that just come so easily and naturally to you because of your training that somebody else can't begin to do. Peter says these individuals have a heart that's been trained in greed. It's just been steeped in it from a child up. Trained to always be looking for what is, what is theirs. My, my hunch is, is these individuals in that training, many of them probably grew up in homes where that was a a focus of just more and more and more and, and wanting and having. Peter says, be careful. We know elsewhere the Bible says the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. Money in and of itself is not evil, but put your heart there and you've got real problems. And mom and dad, you and I, when we put our heart there, we're training. Without saying a single thing, our kids are learning their values from us about money and possessions and wealth. Frankly, they're learning about how we view other people and how we respect them or don't respect them and the way we look at the world around us. And Peter says these individuals have greedy hearts. And he, he gives an example from the Old Testament. It's the Old Testament, an infamous guy, a guy by the name of Balaam. As don't be like that guy. Balaam wanted to be high, was trying to be hired by the kings of Midian and Moab, and they wanted Balaam to come. He was one of God's people, a Jew, and they wanted him to come and curse God's people so that they could win the battle. And so Balaam went to God and said, God, can I do that? And God said, you can't curse my people. And Balaam goes, you know, guys, I can't, can't curse. I'm sorry, I can't help you. But they said, hey, we're going to pay you a lot of money, man, if you do this. And the dollar signs are rolling in Balaam's eyes. So he goes back and he says, can I do this? God, why can't I do this? I want the money. And God, as a test, says, go ahead, you can talk. You can do it. But when Balaam spoke, he couldn't curse. He could only bless Israel because God overcame all of that. 
And still the kings were like, ah, why can't we win? And it kind of blew up in Balaam's face, and he didn't get the money. So finally he then went back because he wanted his payday, and he was wheeling and dealing. And he said, oh, here's what you do, guys. Send some of your more beautiful daughters into the nation of Israel, and there the, the Jews will fall in love, and they'll marry and date and do all of that, all the things that God said not to do, and then God will curse them. So they did that, and Balaam got his payout. But Balaam, at the end of the day, wanted to die a righteous man. In his hypocrisy, he was this false teacher, speaking for God, but all the while he just wanted to get that, that, that money and that payday. So guys, this morning, we're told a number of things here. One, we should not be surprised when real problems surface in a church. Don't be shocked. Don't be offended. Don't be hurt. Certainly, if the pain comes your way, grieve it and deal with it. But we shouldn't just run. Too often as Christians, we're looking for a perfect church, and there is none. It's called heaven. But it also means that you and I need to be vigilant. It means that this level of accountability and watching kind of the safety of our fellowship and congregation goes way beyond what's preached on Sunday morning or way beyond even just, you know, what we, our leaders share in any Bible study or our kids' classes or our life groups or that kind of thing. But we need to be vigilant about all of this. But aside from that, from the personal soul, the reason these, this stuff is in the world around us is because it's, it's in our heart. And you and I, every one of us have had these things in our heart at different times or another. Every one of these. Which one of us haven't battled with pride and ego? It's something that God hates, and we give it a write-off so easily. Just pushing our way through and bullying our way because of what we want. Which, which one of us haven't spouted off things about other people that we shouldn't have? running them down, bringing blasphemy to them, cursing along the way. That's in the culture around us. We try to clean that up a bit in the church world. You know, we, we know you're not just supposed to say, damn it, or God damn it. That's a blasphemy. That's a curse. You're bringing a God into cursing something or someone else. But we love to clean it up and say, darn it, or dang it. It's the same heart and mentality. So God says, let's stay away from that stuff, guys. Avoid all of that. Which one of us have not partied in our, our lives and been deceiving and acted one way in reality but claiming to, to be something else? Which one of us hasn't dealt with greed and covetousness I have to be careful with that regularly myself. Which one of us haven't dealt with any, all of these? So this morning, let this be a chance for you to check your heart before God. Not as a point to say, oh God, I need to work harder and I got to be perfect and I got to do better. But actually as a point to say, God, I need more of your grace. God, I need more of your forgiveness. God, forgive me. God, I, would you bring more change into my life and help me? See, your whole Christian life is going to be understanding and discerning more of that junk that's inside of you. 
and God will go in and He'll work His surgery. And as you confess it to Him and as He uncovers the roots of those things, the, 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 the lies inside your heart, uh, the little idle self-will things that you've lived for other than Him, He's cleaning that junk up. And so He wants us to come to Him, not, not to just try to, I'm going to live perfectly now, I can do better. That's trying to live your life apart from God, but rather it's trying to say, God, I need your forgiveness. So maybe God's convicted you of one or more of these. Go to him and say, God, forgive me. Maybe you need to reevaluate your life. These people aren't just related to the church. They're your neighbors. They're your coworkers. They're your fellow students. And maybe you've allowed some of these individuals to have a bigger place in your life and heart than you should. Consequently, you're going down that road with them. Maybe you've jumped on some bandwagons that you shouldn't have. Take this morning and reevaluate those things. Maybe you need to forgive somebody that's done or spoken against you some of these things. You can forgive them because God's going to judge them, the Bible says. You don't have to have revenge in your heart. You can let, that, let God do what God's going to do, and he will exact fairness and justice and holiness completely. So I don't know, River, how this has hit you this morning, but as I pray, I want you to take one step in some area, maybe it's something I haven't even mentioned, with these things. The exciting thing to me is, is though that even you and I battle these things or have battled these things, and God saves us out of this junk, and then he cleans us up more and more the rest of our life, is that our God loves us, and he forgives us. And he, he's not shocked by any of this. He's just warning us so that we don't fall into it and, can, and go down that road. And he's pointing it out for our own good. So this morning, draw to him as I close in prayer and we close our service out, and take just the, the 30 seconds in your heart to respond to what he's been telling to you. Pray with me. Father, I thank you for the Lord Jesus, that he loves us and he forgives us and he saves us. And Lord, we, I, I want to confess for me and for our church that we allow the world to shape our thinking and our habits and our views God, I, I don't want to be beat up by that. I don't want our church to be beat up by that. But God, I ask for grace. I ask for forgiveness. And Lord, would you forgive us of judgmentalism when we see those things, thinking that we're better? And God, forgive us for our legalism and thinking that we can just do it without you. Lord, we need your grace this morning to live out these truths. Help us in each of these areas, Father, I pray, to bring glory and honor to you. Thank you that you delivered us out of this junk. Help us to be alert and attuned and to, to those that would lead us, that would deceive us and pull us into it. Father, may we be quick to see it, to see their lies, to see the deception, to see the dangers. Father, I, I pray this in Jesus' name. Thanks for listening to Rivercast, brought to you by River of Life Church in Gilderland, New York. Visit us on Sundays at 10 a.m. or online at riveralbany.com.